Bing bong, Scarlet Fever is back. A cornucopia of sporting action collides this week, and we are here with you to break it all down. Husker football is off the bye this week, and as they get set to face Purdue, how will the Huskers fare in a must-win and a high-pressure situation against the Boilermakers on Saturday? We'll discuss. Plus, the moment that Landon and I have been waiting for, Husker Hoops is back. Fred Hoiberg and company have two scrimmages this week. One is already in the books against Peru State, a 97-58 Nebraska victory, and another is yet to come. Sunday, Halloween, at 11 o'clock against Colorado. So Landon and I will discuss what we liked, what we didn't from last night's scrimmage against Peru State, and we'll look ahead to Colorado as well. Plus, we'll touch on a tough loss for Nebraska volleyball at the hands of Wisconsin. All that and more coming up on Scarlet Fever. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Scarlet Fever. You can follow Landon Wirt, my co-host, on Twitter at Landon Wirt, L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T. Again, L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T. And you can find me at Hanson15 underscore Hanson, H-A-N-S-E-N. Don't forget, this is a daily Nebraskan podcast, so give at Daily N-E-B and at D-N Sports. Once again, at Daily N-E-B and at D-N Sports, a follow for all of your campus news from the students who live it every day. Day And it's another big week. Uh, man, so many good things going on right now. Uh, so many things to look forward to. It's hard to pick from. It's hard to pick a best thing, really, from this last week. And there's no Oscar uh, football game to spoil uh, anything, really. Uh, this last week. So. <laughs> Speak for yourself. My weekend was was plenty spoiled by by football teams losing. Both, oh yeah, both the yeah, Chiefs yeah. And Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State oh, losing. God. Just yeah, tough absolute, week for you. Yeah, awful. So speak for yourself. Well, best thing, best thing. Do you have one? Yeah, um, I'm going to change from something I had written down because I saw something last night that was just absolutely incredible. So. As um, a big soccer guy myself, I follow the MLS very closely. My hometown team sporting kansas city is in first place in the western conference heading in to the home stretch of the regular season which is cool as one professional sports organization in kansas city can make a postseason push but i spoke in my piece last night portland timbers are playing the san jose earthquakes uh there is they're in the 50 55th minute of the match there's a through ball in to a portland timbers forward uh Ball was played a little bit too hard. The goalkeeper from the Earthquakes come, comes out to about the edge of his box, a San Jose's keeper, to try to scoop up the pass. Muffs it a little bit. The ball falls to the Portland Timbers forward, Darian Espria. Uh, the goalkeeper's out of his net, but his back's to the goal. So instead of trying to settle it, turn, and maybe find a teammate for a shot in the open net, instead, Espria settles the ball himself, bicycle kick from outside of the box, with no goalkeeper from like 25 yards away over everyone and into the net. It is such a cool goal, and my description like definitely did not do it justice, but if you search Darian Aspria Portland Timbers goal, uh, you'll find it. It's all over social media. It's it's so cool. I'm going to turn around and show Grant. We're going to do oh, okay, there we go. li- live reaction on the podcast right here. Okay. Okay, interesting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. It's a, okay. it's a sick goal. My, it, it looks like the defender maybe could have done a little bit better in getting to that ball and clearing yeah. it off the line, but why ruin such an awesome goal? That I, takes a lot of, like, aggression. 
Yeah, it's it's aggression and finesse. A bicycle kick is hard. I've never right. ever in my 14, 15 years of playing soccer, but I did it competitively, never once have tried it in a game. Uh, it's very, very hard and a difficult thing to land, especially on cold, wet turf. Like, that doesn't sound fun. When you score a, a just absolutely peach of a goal like that, it makes up for it. But it was a really awesome goal, and it's probably going to be in, in contention to win, like, goal of the year from FIFA. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, that was the best thing I saw. It was really awesome. Well, we got to take you back in time here, or we'll, we'll, I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll go conspiracy theory... Uh, here for you. I got to give you the 11-22-63 update because I forgot to do it last week. I finished the show, and if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, it's this weird James Franco show about time travel. And I was like, I felt like James Franco wrote it. Well, I he didn't, really. He was one of the, I think he might have been producing on it. It's based on a Stephen King novel. So that oh. explains, like... How just the macabre total, and weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The total insanity. And it like there's more macabre stuff as as you go on. Like there's some you know, general Stephen King screwed upness that gets uh in through the rest of the show. But I but I finished it. I watched like four episodes like on the Monday night before we got back from fall break. Stayed up to like three in the morning. I don't know why I decided to do that, but I'm like, I'm just gonna finish this tonight. And so um yeah, it's pretty wild, not gonna lie. I don't know. Kind of got bored in the middle with some of the different parts that was that was going on, um, but if you like science fiction, uh, if you like time travel, if you like the kind of thought experiments um, that time travel shows like kind of naturally create on their own, like oh, if this thing changed, how did that you know how does the butterfly effect basically affect everything else in history? Uh, it's definitely up there for that, um, and it's pretty easy to make fun of too. You know, I mean it's. It's like I, I saw Halloween Kills uh, this this week, and like the only reason I really saw it was just to make fun of it. <laughs> so I mean, like it's the same. Like it's it's it's, it's kind of the same uh, same kind of thing there. Um, but so there's your update on that. Uh, I'll, I'll second place for me. Uh, John Morant lay up against the Lakers. Kip fell up short, but man, that that like double reverse thing he had it, it was something else. And my poor Grizzlies, my poor Grizzlies just got absolutely manhandled last night on national TV by the Trailblazers. I, I don't know. Ugh. Jaron Jackson. You know, you know, you everybody, every NBA fan knows that when you pay an underperforming star big-time money, it just gets instantly better, right? I mean, just, and of course, for those of you who don't know, that's sarcasm. Uh, and the first four games of the year for Jaron Jackson Jr. has been, uh, they've been less than inspiring, to say the least. Yeah, big Grizz guy. I like Jaw, um, but yeah, disappointing start. They just got waxed. Two and two. Night. Yeah, two but, and two, and they get a chance to, tonight against the Warriors to try to you know challenge a undefeated team they beat in the play-in last year. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's definitely a really exciting young core with this group. Uh, if Jaron Jackson would get up to like you know Jaw's level in terms of how his output, this team would be at a totally different spot. But he hasn't yet. 
yeah, we'll see what happens. Long season, of course. And oh, by, yeah. by the way, uh, si- shout out Side Talk NYC. That is that is the inspiration yes, for, for, for the, the Bing, Bing Bong, Bong. Open uh, and the Knicks. The Knicks play, as we're recording us on Thursday, the Knicks play the Bulls tonight. Uh, They're fun. I don't Knicks know. Where, fun. I, I don't know where that game's going to be. I don't know if it's at the Garden. I kind of hope it is, but maybe it's not. Yeah, well, I, I think this is the time of year that I always say I'm really going to get into college basketball. I'm really going to get into the NBA, and then it never happens. This year, I can almost guarantee I'm going to get into college basketball because that's the beat you know it's the yeah. beat that i'm on but uh yeah it, it's fun it's the first couple of weeks have been fun for the nba this this these last couple of weeks and that also falls in the best thing i've seen I've, I've enjoyed watching that and enjoyed all the different stuff that's gone on yeah definitely can say that for sure well nebraska football it's time we are off the bye uh as we as the, and the rest of the nebraska media turn our attention to Purdue coming into Nebraska at 2.30, and it, kind of a must-win. I mean, you know, certainly a must-win in terms of bowl aspirations, but, man, coming off a bye, the way this thing could spiral should Nebraska lose on Saturday kind of boggles the mind. It, it, you know, out, outcome either way is interesting for us because there's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about no matter what happens on Saturday, but... Of course, for the football team itself and the fans, a loss is a very catastrophic outcome on Saturday. If Nebraska loses, I hate to say this, but you're probably staring 3-9 and nine right in the face mm-hmm. if you're not able to come out victorious against Purdue. Purdue is a fine football team. They're different, and we'll get into just what makes them different, but... World beaters, they are not. Yes. The issue that I'm having right now with Nebraska football is everyone thought the Illinois game was an aberration. Now it's happened again against Minnesota. Sluggish start, maybe, but Nebraska is losing these games to inferior competition, Sands Northwestern, and of course Fordham and Buffalo, which really, really makes me <laughs> makes me nervous about what nebraska team we're gonna see what the focus level is going to be and if that renewed and concerted effort isn't enough i think this season definitely has train wreck potential yeah train wreck potential it could get it could go south really quickly and all the goodwill that's been established with the close games against michigan state the close games against michigan you know all that fanfare for the night game the michigan game all of that has the potential to go away in an instant because People won't remember those early season games. They'll remember a potential loss to Purdue and then however badly Iowa State wins and then another loss to Iowa. So this Nebraska, I've said this a lot, but now we are really hanging on the cliff right now. And is the question is whether or not Nebraska can pull itself up or free fall because this season could definitely go the way of the latter if uh, the, the result isn't positive on Saturday. Well, I mean, let's look at this. Uh, some of the interesting notes from this week. We'll Ramir Johnson's going to be back for this team. Uh, open kicking competition. So Found that out today, th- yes. There no decision that has been made publicly yet as far as that uh, that competition. But uh, So that, that went down. Uh, too late? Too little too late? Well, it... It happened before. I mean, I remember having this conversation in September. I believe it was after the Oklahoma game, and Frost brought this similar thing up. And I don't know why Nebraska keeps having these problems at kicker, because there are talented guys on the roster. There have been. 
I don't understand why it's been so difficult for this team to find a long-term answer there at that spot. It, it kind of boggles the mind a little bit, like, you know, borrowing a phrase. I don't know who's going to come out on top. I think that there's a good chance it's Culp. Um, I don't know if there's some weird psychological thing there. He's able to kick in practice, but when it comes to the games, it's just not something that can happen. But, I mean, <laughs> at this point, it's kind of like, trying to put lipstick on a pig. There are a lot of other issues right now. Um, and this kicker thing is something that should have been figured out a while ago. But if it's something that can get fixed and it's whoever it is can make an impact down the stretch, then I guarantee you no one's going to care after this week. Purdue had negative 13 yards of total offense last week. and is, Or rather, I'm sorry, a rushing, rushing offense yeah. uh, last week. You know, as you look at Saturday, it's going to be pretty nice, about 66 degrees uh, so Purdue is not going to be hampered in the passing game, at least by the weather. And so when you look at that and you also look at some of the injuries in the secondary for Nebraska, including Deontay Williams, uh, how does that play out this week? How, how do you think that? And it's especially, too, another interesting story, Miles Farmer is going to probably get the start this weekend. And Purdue is where his season ended a year ago, that weird non-contact injury in warm-ups. Yeah, I remember that very well. We were in West Lafayette for that game, and that was a really, really scary situation. It made all the more just freaky by the fact that, of course, nobody was there, and you just the absolute solemn vibes, I guess, for lack of a better word, the ambulance was rolled out. and It really is cool for that situation to come full circle, but I will say this as far as, you know, the the Purdue offense v. Nebraska defense matchup. Do not expect Purdue to come in and run. Don't. They, I mean, this will be a classic old takes exposed here potential, but Purdue cannot run the football. They can't do it. Nebraska held them to negative two rushing yards last year. They are going to come in and throw. If Purdue does run, it's probably going to be with a couple of their quarterbacks not named Aiden O'Connell. I've, I spoke at length this week in my What to Watch For about the Purdue game article. Purdue's going to rotate in three quarterbacks. It's going to be Aiden O'Connell who's going to be sitting back there and throwing in the pocket, and then you're going to have Jack Plummer who started the Nebraska-Purdue game last year. More of a pocket guy, but but a bit more mobile, and then you've got Austin Burton, the runner. I like Nebraska's matchup at on the outside. I think that the the battle between Cam Taylor Britt and David Bell is going to be fascinating. And you know, David Bell, of course, had that big game against Iowa. But how different does that look if Riley Moss plays, or you know, if somebody else in Iowa's secondary? Nebraska's secondary, I think, should be able to match up well. It's even with the injuries, it's the unit that I felt has been the most consistent. And I think they'll be able to hold up. Uh, containing David Bell, you know, Nebraska's had some issues against uh, stopping big play wide receivers, but I'm pretty confident that Nebraska's going to be able to hold up pretty well. The other thing, too, that I've been reading a lot about, uh, you know, Purdue fan blogs and the like, O'Connell is a quarterback. Once he makes one mistake, uh, the second and third mistakes are very likely to follow. So if Nebraska can get Purdue's passing attack off of its rhythm early with a pick I could really see this game strongly favoring Nebraska but it's different because you know teams like Michigan Michigan State like they're run first even Minnesota to a point these teams they have an identity kind of they're going to come in and run the ball the difference with Purdue is they're not going to run it 
Purdue throws on nearly like 60% of its plays. So you know what Purdue's going to do. There's an identity, which has been good. Nebraska struggled a little bit when teams have had some uncertainty and had this lack of an identity. So Nebraska knows what it needs to stop. And I feel confident in Nebraska's defense doing the job when it knows what it needs to stop. Well, and then in Minnesota you know, in many ways was run first until they played Nebraska in which they became play action first. Yeah, they they were weird in terms of their identity, which is why I almost hesitated even putting them in the conversation with Michigan and Michigan State. So again, the the other storyline that you alluded to a little bit uh, just a second ago was that David Bell v. Camp Taylor-Britt uh, matchup and these are two NFL guys I think and, yeah. and it, it, there's not a whole lot of people that would really disagree I, I, with that Bell 44 catches 712 yards four touchdowns now of course 200 of those came a couple of weeks ago uh, against Iowa but his year has been great he is stuck to form to you know to where he has been in the past despite the fact that he's at Purdue and there's not a whole lot around him to support him and on the other side Cam Taylor Britt you know you look at the first few games for him, and I actually even thought at that point there was a chance that maybe even he could come back for an extra year considering the level of play he had in those first few games. But, man, when you look at how he played against Michigan and how he played against Minnesota, those potentially are two of the best games of his career, and he's really moved himself back to that NFL standard, that standard of play he had established for himself in previous seasons. Yeah, CTB is peaking at the right time, and that's it's really good because, of course, you know the, the caliber of player that he is, right? And um, So it's it's been very, very encouraging. Even, you know, the Northwestern game, too, he played pretty well, uh, aside from, like, the last bad CTB moment that sticks to my mind is Northwestern's first touchdown when he got beat on that double move uh, on the outside for Northwestern's only score of the game. And then from there, he made a couple nice plays in coverage and has really carried that momentum on. I think he's going to be very confident going into the matchup with David Bell. Bell is a guy, he had a big, at least at the very least, a big catch uh, against Nebraska last year. Um, That is one of the cooler in-person plays I've seen in my entire life. Uh, The Oklahoma pick, Uh, against Nebraska is one but that David Bell catches too because that was incredible I don't know who he went up over I can actually look because it's the picture of my story right now um yeah it was it actually was Cam Taylor Britt and uh Markel Dismuke he went over both of them of course on that post route over the middle and then yeah yeah, 10 catches for 132 yards for him in that game now 89 of those yards came on one play so yeah I think that that there's a little bit of a revenge narrative in there too because you know corners remember that stuff you especially getting beat in that manner with like that cool of a catch and run I I have a feeling that Cam Taylor Britt's going to be looking for a bit of revenge on Saturday with, with Mr. Bell. So that matchup's going to be great. Two pros going at it for sure. It's going to be awesome to watch. Other side of the ball, look at the Husker offense. Adrian Martinez likely going to be 100%. And I think got his first question either this week or last. I think it was this week. First question really about does he come back for another additional year next year or not? And he shut that conversation down right away. Yeah, jury's still out. Uh, it really has just been fluctuating week to week in terms of fan optimism and uh, trust, I guess, under center. And that's kind of been an, an, an embodiment of his Nebraska career. You know, right now I think he's just focused on getting to Purdue and taking this thing week by week truly. And you know, that's kind of what every player was 
saying when talked about, you know, future aspirations and, you know, do you get to a bowl game and things like that. But from Martinez's perspective, I really do think that he just is, is so invested in getting this, this ship turned uh, that he's got no other choice but to just focus on Purdue. And Purdue's defense is interesting. Uh, I think Nebraska should be able to find success. One of the things I wanted to hit on quickly is that gaudy number of, oh my goodness, Purdue's fifth in the country in, in pass defense. Mm. But look at the offenses Purdue has played. I, I, I did it for you, and again, I'm, I'm bumping my article, but uh, Purdue has faced one top 50 passing attack this year, and that was Notre Dame. Uh, the rest, um, the highest ranked in terms of passing yards per game offense that Purdue faced was 97th, Oregon State. In consecutive weeks, Purdue has played like three straight 120th range of 133 FBS team, mind you, uh, in terms of passing offense. So Purdue has played some really, really horrible quarterbacks and right. really, really horrible passing offenses. And Adrian Martinez is probably going to be the best quarterback they've seen this year. So I'm not really expecting that. Like, I don't take too much stock into that number. I think that Nebraska's offense still should be able to have success if last year was any indication. So I, I'm not really too worried about that matchup. There are specific players on Purdue's defense that scare me, but I'm not really worried about the matchup as a whole between Nebraska's passing offense and offense in general versus Purdue's defense. I want to ask you about Samari Touré, and this is a metric that was brought up, I think, after the Minnesota game, but it was really interesting to me. In Husker wins, in each Husker win, Ture has over 100 yards receiving, 133 against Fordham on eight receptions, one rushing touchdown, two catches, 136 yards against Buffalo, two touchdowns there, two catches, 108 yards against Northwestern, touchdown there. Now, in the losses, things look a little bit different, right? You got three catches for 37 yards against Illinois, three catches for 27 yards against Oklahoma, had five catches against Michigan State, got some good touches there, and came up you know, big in a couple of key spots, but still relatively quiet. Three catches against Michigan for 37 yards and one catch for one yard against Minnesota. So that metric is really, really interesting to me to look at that. But even in the games that the Huskers have won, you know, against Buffalo and Northwestern, he only had two catches and basically blew the top off the defense on the first one. Um why why does Nebraska struggle to get the playmaker their playmakers the ball on the offensive side, whether it's Ture or whether it's you know Xavier Betts, I think that there are instances where Nebraska's offense is concerned about feeding all the mouths when it needs to just focus on a few mouths and let the other options open up. Samari Torre is definitely an example of someone that needs more consistent touches because week to week it varies. Like you said, there have been instances where he's looked like the best player on the field and a guy like, why isn't he touching the ball like seven to eight times a game at least? And then times where he's just completely ghosted in the game plan, like against Minnesota. In order for Nebraska to establish any sort of consistency at the wide receiver position, I think that they have to establish who the number one guy is. Whether it's Torre or Omar Manning or somebody else, Nebraska's got to have a guy that Martinez is looking to semi-consistently in the passing game and, you know, getting a good bit of the target share. Otherwise, I mean, I get the the element of you want to confuse the defense because you don't know where they're going next. But in order to have that number one quote-unquote established, it, it can really help open things up for others, too. So I think Samari Torre needs more of the ball, whether it be in the option game that, that has been really working at points this season or or in the past. I, he needs to get more involved. Well, 
there's another playmaker who could make a return this week. Yeah. Thomas Fedoni. Uh, he's been in practice the last couple of weeks. Four games to go. So, you know, this is interesting to me because, you know, in theory, um, you know, in, in, in theory he could make a return this week, but the problem would be if Nebraska did make a bowl game and he did play in the bowl game and he played in the final four games, he'd lose the red shirt, right? So yeah. do you see Fedoni coming in this week? It'd be nice to have him in there. But at the same time, Vokalek and Allen have been doing a good job, but you would like to see one of your premier recruits in the last recruiting class get to see the field this year at some point, especially after he recovered from an injury as serious as any injury that he suffered. Yeah, I think that we probably will see him at some point, and I, I don't want to rule out the possibility that Nebraska still could make a bowl game at 5-7. and seven. This is a thing that could happen. Nebraska's a very strong national brand, and I wouldn't rule it out of the you know the realm of possibility. At any rate... I do think he'll play. I'm not sure if this weekend's the weekend. It could be, and I could be wrong. I'm just a little bit more pessimistic on that front. I think that it would be good for you know him to see some action this year, of course. Um, Allen and Vocal, correct me if I'm wrong, are both juniors, um, but Fedoni's a guy that and, can And Allen, Allen is a likely NFL uh, departee this offseason. Yeah, season. Which, which is important to note as well. Um, so there, there's, there's definitely opportunity and option to show that the future is now a little bit the thing that has always been interesting to me about Fedoni is that you know he's more of a hybrid like almost Travis Kelsey-ish type like a guy that will is you know you can get down be there on the offensive line and break out for rats too but it's also a guy who can split out wide a little bit uh more frequently he's so more of a receiver first and a blocker second I think right so I I I would like to get a look at him in a couple of games before the season ends I you know the way Nebraska's schedule set up is so brutal it's like do you want to unleash him against Purdue do you want to unleash him against like a potentially hard-hitting nasty slugfest game against Wisconsin and risk right risk re-injury if he's not 100 percent you know do you want to do it against another really just nasty good physical speed everywhere team in ohio state you know these are the questions you want to weigh do you want to throw them into the fire do you want to wait a little bit i i prefer the former i think that it's probably good if you can keep him safe and keep him healthy and you know make sure he's staying confident and upright to get him in but i'm really looking forward to seeing how nebraska's coaching staff decides to deploy him and in what situations well, Purdue got decimated by Wisconsin last week, in my opinion. I mean, it, it really wasn't close. Yeah. I mean, and, and and Wisconsin effectively didn't pass the ball the whole game. I mean, 58 yards of passing offense for Graham Mertz. Uh, so what does that say about where Nebraska needs to attack in this game? Do they go through the air, or do they try to establish something more on the ground? Well, Nebraska can go through the air. Adrian Martinez is one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten, uh, just based on pure numbers and pure metrics and the like, he's going to present a much different challenge than a Spencer Petras or a Graham Mertz. Uh, you know, he's someone that can actually push the ball downfield a little bit. He's someone that's it's a dynamic playmaker, can use his legs a lot. I think Nebraska's going to be able to attack Purdue in a variety of ways, but the run game is definitely something interesting. Against Minnesota, one of the hallmarks of Nebraska's offense has been when plays plays break down, Martinez is able to get away and scramble and use his feet and um, design quarterback runs. That was not there against Minnesota due to Martinez not being you know at his peak in terms of health. 
And I think the quarterback run game is going to be an area where I'm looking at Nebraska to be able to attack Purdue because in addition to Purdue not facing very many good passing offenses, Purdue has also not faced very many mobile quarterbacks, if any. You know, I'm looking, thinking through the opponents Purdue played and none uh, leading up to Martinez stick out to me as a very mobile guy at all. So I think the quarterback run game is going to be a huge facet of this one, in addition to getting Ramir consistent touches as well. I'm looking for Martinez to have a, a big game with his legs because I think it's something that Purdue won't quite be ready for on Saturday. But I don't know. Uh, getting decimated by Wisconsin like that, it, it, this is a big prove-it game to see, okay, where is Nebraska going to stand in this division, yeah. in the Big Ten West, as we get closer and, to the and, end of the And if, Husker, if the Huskers do find a way to win on Saturday, you will see you know, a lot of people pointing to that Iowa-Wisconsin game as an indicator of how high the mountain is Nebraska actually has to climb yeah. to achieve that bowl game goal. Uh, because those last two opponents, right, I think a lot of people are marking an L next to Ohio State and wishful thinking and hoping uh, a lot of Husker fans in that Wisconsin and Iowa range, and those two teams happen to play this week. By the way, that Big Ten West race, kind of getting interesting, oddly. Uh, yeah, I know. Weird. <laughs> Weird, right? Um, old friends Minnesota and P.J. Fleck appear to be... They control uh, their own destiny. They do, which is so strange. Uh, yep. It is getting weird. Yeah, Minnesota currently sits first in the Big Ten West. Who to thunk that? Uh, Iowa, of course, right behind them. Same with Wisconsin and Purdue. This is a big game for Purdue, too. Um, Purdue could, you know, if, if things continue to shake out the way they do, Purdue holds a really big tiebreaker over Iowa, not Wisconsin. but And not Minnesota. Yeah, the race is getting interesting, and it is very, very sad that Nebraska's not Well, it's that. like as, as beautiful as the race is on the east side, the west is just a train wreck. Yeah. You can't um, look away for the same reason that you can't look away from the east because it's so beautiful, and basically, and, yeah. and interesting. You can't look away from the West because it's such a disaster. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like one of those years where the, the East representative might just smack the West representative in the championship Oh Yeah, yeah oh, no, I, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, but anyway, 2.30 kick, Nebraska, Purdue. Uh, energy, in theory, should be good. Everybody should be uh, all awake. It says it's not an 11 o'clock game, so uh, fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> Tickets are buy one, get one free, and that's an interesting layer added on there, too. Looks like the sellout streak will continue through the remainder of the year, according to Nebraska Athletic Director Trev Alberts. And so everyone can stop asking him. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so that'll do it for our preview of Nebraska and Purdue. Our picks coming up next, 1-2 NU. You're listening to Scarlet Fever. Welcome back to Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen alongside Landon Wirt with you, and this is episode number 10. Way up there to the big 1-0 uh, here in season, was this, three? Yeah, big milestone. I know. Woo! Big day. 1-2 on you. All yeah. right. Here are the rules. You know them properly, hopefully, by now. But uh, we pick our top two favorite college football games against the spread, plus... The Nebraska game. I am 14 and 10, coming off a 2 and 1 week last week. Landon, with a big 3 and 0 week, is only a game back of 500 at 11, 12 and 1. If only that stupid push in that Texas game. Don't remind me. You'd be at 500. One of the worst beats of all time. 
But, Not really, but it still sucked. But hey, everybody, we're, we're starting, we're going a lot better right now than we had been at the beginning of the year. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Certainly improvement. All right, well, we'll just hop right in. And Landon, your first game of the week. Yeah, going Florida State and Clemson, what I like to refer to as the Disappointment Bowl. Uh, we're playing a game, which is my favorite game of the, this entire college football season, called Clemson should not be favored by more than a touchdown against anybody in the ACC. I realize that Florida State has been very not good this year, but the Knolls do appear to be turning a little bit of a corner. Have won three in a row. Of course, one came against UMass, which like doesn't really count as a, yeah. a win against a real football <laughs> team, but wins over North Carolina in there, which is impressive. Um, Florida State beat Syracuse by three points, and so did Clemson. And I would even argue that the Seminoles' win over North Carolina is is more impressive than any Clemson win so far this season. That is uh, that's that's legit. Yeah, I so actually buy that. I think that this game definitely has the potential to blow up in my face and backfire tremendously because that's just how volatile Florida State can be. But I'm gonna roll with the hotter team here. Clemson's getting nine and a half at home, which I personally think is way too high of a number. I think this is going to be a one-possession game. Personally, I'm taking Florida State plus 9.5 and, and taking Clemson to squeak out a close one-possession game in Death Valley, 23-21. to 21. My first game of the week is another disrespect line. I mean, hardcore disrespect. Auburn and Ole Miss. And this one is in Auburn. I, I'm i blown away by this line. Auburn, a 2.5-point favorite. When I made this the other day, they were a 3-point favorite. So that line has come down here slightly. Uh, but I really don't understand this one. Yes, Ole Miss has struggled uh, in a couple of wins here lately, but this offense is dynamic, and Bo Nix just is not. All right, like I, I'm sorry. I know they're 18th right now, but it is really, really hard for me to pick with Auburn as long as Bo Nix is the quarterback, because in big games he is not legit. So. I got to go with Ole Miss here, and I think they win by a lot more than that two and a half point spread, thirty nine to twenty. Give me the Rebels on the road. Yeah, good pick. I like that one. Uh, very hard to trust Bo Nix. When in doubt, bet against Bo Nix. Seems to be a profitable Ugh. system, to be honest. Okay, pick number two for me. It is my turn. So, treading lightly here. Hear me out, though. Cincinnati and Tulane going for an early morning AAC battle. So Cincinnati is in a solid position right now. My, my Bearcats, it's second nationally in the country. But unfortunately for them, their win over Indiana just continues to look worse as the weeks progress. Uh, the Notre Dame one isn't looking just stellar either. And because of that, I'm not sure that the Bearcats have established enough goodwill at all to remain in a playoff spot should it should they lose the cats still have some challenging games remaining too. smu is still on the schedule in november as well as a potential aac championship game against either smu again or houston but if cincinnati slips it needs to have more goodwill established and take care of and pummel the teams it's supposed to pummel they were not able to do that against navy last week but i'm backing them to do so this week against a very very bad tulane team tulane is bad they're one and six Tulane's highlight of the season was losing by five points to OU. Since then, they've been absolutely stinky. The Bearcats are favored by 26. I like them up to, to four touchdowns. I'm going Cincinnati 48-14, covering that 26-point spread. I got another dog here with my second pick of the week. Texas Tech at Oklahoma. And you're thinking, why? Why would I pick a team that 
just got rid of their head coach in the middle of the year. Um, I just don't like Oklahoma. This is just be honest. They almost lost to Kansas last week, and they're favored by 19 and a half. That line was 20 when I made this. I think that I, I don't think Oklahoma can cover this line. I really don't. I mean, you think about Caleb Williams being a Heisman favorite prior to this Kansas game last week, and really, the probably the biggest play he made was stealing the ball from his own running back and a suspect play that could have, in theory, lost Oklahoma the game if the ball hadn't, or hadn't been officiated the way it was. Uh, certainly not a Heisman candidate now. And, man, what a disappointment. Oklahoma's got to be up there as like one of the bigger disappointments this year. It's Oklahoma, Iowa State, Clemson, probably there's one more team. In, oh, Indiana. Yeah. Those are probably the biggest Miami. four disappointments. Miami's in there, too, but they always do this. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. So... But I, I think Oklahoma wins. It's closer than a lot of people think, 34-28. Sonny Cumbie. <laughs> In Sonny Cumbie, we trust. Texas Tech's new interim coach. Oh, Hilarious name. Wild um, stuff. Yeah, I, I like that. I was very sad that KU was not able to do the thing. That would have been like the Oh, that would have been so fun. That would have been the most hilarious it was like, such a weird game upset ever. It, and it was such a bad slate this weekend. That was probably one of the most interesting games because of all the weird stuff that went on with the power. Um, I mean, the Kansas broadcast, like, announcing halfway through, like, come Just, down to the stadium for yeah. free. Like, yeah. so many weird things. KU football, catch the fever. It's electric. All right. It's time. The Nebraska pick, our first in, like, two weeks. Here we go. Yeah, uh, I'm going Nebraska to cover the 7.5 points, Brad. I'm going Nebraska 30, Purdue 17. I think that, uh, as we've seen all year, Nebraska's been able to key in when an opposing team has an identity um, and produces the pass game. So I think that Nebraska should be able to do a pretty good job at taking away that. The things that Purdue does doesn't necessarily scare me. I was not very impressed with them last year when the two teams met, and I think that Purdue has similar roster construction to that team. Uh, Their passing attack doesn't scare me. Their passing defense doesn't scare me. I think that Frost appeared very confident today based on the things I could gather. Um, I don't think this game is going to come down to the special teams. I know there was kicking competition, but I don't think it's going to matter. I think Nebraska's offense will be able to move the ball pretty easily, and while Aiden O'Connell might make a play or two, I'm backing Nebraska's defense, specifically Cam Daler-Britt, to record an INT. I am going the Huskers 30, Purdue 17. I like Nebraska. I think the spread is that high for a reason, and I think the Huskers should be able to take care of business with a wire-to-wire home victory. Well, Scott Frost is winless after buys. A lot of people making uh, making note of that. I've made this that week. note too. But There's two buys. It's kind of hogwash. It's two buys. A little hogwash. All right. The, so the Akron, the thing, Akron thing that doesn't count as a bye week. Yeah, no kidding. It was a canceled game. But. Seven and a half points. It's a lot of points. Vegas knows. That's I don't why like they it. build casinos. I really don't like it. I I am so wary of. Nebraska being a heavy favorite at home, especially under Frost, especially after last year. I think they're still going to cover the spread, though, against everything that I that my gut tells me. I think Nebraska will cover the spread. They win at 21-13. I'm going literally by eight, eight points here. Okay, but listen, Landon's right. Scott has shown a lot of confidence this week. Now, granted, they showed some confidence the week before against Minnesota. But I think the thing that really kind of pushed me over the edge on this is Trev Albert's comments about the confidence as well. Um, and he says he, he would be shocked if this team didn't come out 
zoned in and ready to go on Saturday. So I think they will be. I think they win 21-13. It's a little bit closer, again, than people think. Um, but I could see Landon's score coming to pass as well. Yeah. Give me Nebraska by two scores. They're confident. Well, folks, that's it for 1-2-N-U and Landon's picks. Clem or Florida State plus 9.5. Cincinnati is a 26-point favorite. And Nebraska as a 7.5-point favorite. For me, I go with Ole Miss as a 2.5-point dog on the road against Auburn. I go with Texas Tech, a 19.5-point dog against Oklahoma to cover that number. And then I will take Nebraska, the favorite, minus 7.5. I'm 14-10. and 10. Landon is 11-12 and 1. And so now on the other side of the break, it's time. The Nebraska Husker Hoops preview. Landon's going to take a victory lap on the starting five. Maybe. Possibly. I don't know. We'll see. When we come back, you're listening to Scarlet Fever. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Scarlet Fever. Now time for our Husker Hoops preview. A couple of scrimmages on tap this week. Peru State happened last night as we record this on Thursday. Uh, Huskers won that one handily despite a very slow start and then a big showdown against a former tournament team on Halloween in Colorado. And there'll probably be another uh, March Madness team again this year, I think. Uh, But big test on Sunday for the Huskers. Your thoughts, Landon? It's good to be back. It was really good to be back in PBA. Yeah, last night was really awesome. I, I missed that whole scene. PBA is definitely one of my favorite um, Nebraska athletic venues. Haymarket's up there, too. I very much enjoy watching a game there. But it was just very nice to see that the place full. It was a really nice turnout considering all of the things. There was a huge volleyball game last night. It was a dreary Wednesday, and it was a 6 p.m. tip. Um, so to see the the amount of fans that were there uh, made the environment really cool. And the game was, you know, it was an exhibition game. It's not going to set the world on fire, and you're not going to have the, the hottest of hot takes from it either. But, you know, like Fred Hoiberg said post game, it's never as good or as bad as you think. It's just the point of it is to get people's feet wet, play against a, some live opposition, and, uh, you know, that's what Nebraska was able to do. And there were some good things. There were some not-so-go things. There were some good things. There were some not-so-good things. But, you know, this is really going to be a real litmus test on Sunday, which I'm looking forward to, against a Colorado team that Ken Palm rates 35th nationally and, yeah, should be right in the thick of things for an NCAA tournament appearance again. We'll know a lot more. So your thoughts on that starting five? You were talking a little bit about that last week. C.J. Wilcher kind of caught you off guard. Yeah, a little bit of a surprise. Uh, That was the one mistake that I had. I was very upset. Uh, I had... Originally, I had uh, I had Kobe Webster in there, so I was four or five. Uh, but yeah, I was really surprised to see C.J. Wilcher start uh, last night against Peru State. Nebraska's offense early on, and I'm not putting this directly on Wilcher. It was you know a team wide systemic effort. It was really really sluggish. Nebraska started the game, the first four minutes against Peru State, just kind of out of ideas and unable to really do much aside from getting in transition which of course is what Nebraska wants but things were really slow the half-court offense looked really really uninspiring uh, when the tempo was slowed a little bit Nebraska was kind of playing at the, the tempo little sluggish half-court game Peru State wanted to play at 
And then once Alonzo, Alonzo Verge substituted into the game, things completely flipped. Mm. The pace got quicker, the ball was moving faster, and, you know, of course the no-look passes are great too, but the overall thing that I really liked about his insertion into that starting crew was just the way the ball was moving. Because when Nebraska's offense works, it's quick drives, quick ball movement, cutters, all that stuff, and that all of that was much more apparent with Verge on the floor, and that's when Nebraska's offense really came to life last night. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. So I only saw the first half. I was only there for the first half. I had to leave in the second half for uh, the Wisconsin match uh, for volleyball. But I really sensed that, too. You could sense that there was just a change once Verge ha- had the main ball handling duties. Uh, so it'll be interesting to me to see if that will continue because I thought, you know, I, they had Trey McGowan's bringing the ball up, running pointed, like, and some of the early possessions. Yeah. And so I don't know how I feel about that, especially compared to Verge. I mean, again, one game, I get it. But he runs the pick and roll really well. He can certainly shoot. Um, 20 points. And again, the second half, which I did not see, was a lot better than the first half. That's what, at least that's what I had heard, right? Yeah, the second half was a lot better because the defensive effort was there. Uh, Peru State shot 50% from the three-point line in the first half, which just flat out isn't good enough. Nebraska was running a zone for most of the night, and it did not look very good in the opening 20 minutes, but some things were, were tightened and some screws were, were tightened and some more emphasis was placed on the perimeter D in the second half. Peru State only shot, I think, um, I have, my, have it in my notes, but Peru State only shot like 26 or 27% from the, uh, from the field in the second half, so that really is a, uh, yeah, 26.5% from the field in the second half what Peru State went. So a lot of credit goes to Nebraska being able to defend better, not only on the perimeter, but I thought Nebraska's interior defense was really sound all night. Derek Walker did a really good job at altering shots inside, as well as Wilhelm Breidenbach and Latmayan, and then later in the game, Ed Andre, too. So Nebraska's interior defense was really, really sound, but that, that perimeter defense is going to need some work, uh, and that was on display in the first half, but it corrected itself in the second half, to be fair. Got a one last piece on that Alonzo Verge stuff. This is from Jacob Padilla uh, of Hale Varsity. But uh, So Verge checks in at 16-19 in the first half, checks out at 8-04. In between that time, Nebraska scores on 10 of 15 possessions. Verge creates all 10 scores, 2 of 3 field goals, 2 of 2 at the free throw line, 6 assists, only the 1 turnover. Um, I got in Derek Walker to the foul line. So two steals for Virgin there, too. So, I mean, it, just an immediate impact. Instant impact. And that assist-to-turnover rate is something that Fred Hoiberg was very impressed with post-game, too. That was a very, Nebraska did not turn the ball over very frequently, which is a very, very good sign. Verge is a good ball handler. We're going to see a lot of different stuff this year with guys breaking the ball off the floor because that's just how Nebraska operates, whether it's Trey McGowan's, Bryce McGowan's, Verge, you know, Further down the line, a guy like Kobe Webster, I mean, Casey Tominaga took the ball up on some possessions. And heck, even later in the game, it was Eduardo Andre, which is something that we saw last year, too, at times. So it really is a a diverse and and fun little bit of the whole positionless pace and space offense, right? You never really know, and it doesn't even really matter some, some points in the time that who's bringing the ball down the floor. But yeah, uh, Verge's impact was was far and away what what dominated the headlines from last night. It had to. He was he was fantastic. The the no look passes, his passing ability is just so crisp, so quick. Um, I really liked his game at Arizona State, and I thought last night too he wasn't really forcing a lot. Uh, it was mm. very very natural. So he's got a great feel for the game. I was really really impressed with the way he played, and my preseason expectations of him were were more than met. 
watching him play in person for the first time. Yeah, I, I felt like the first half there was a lot of things that were very similar to the struggles that Hoiberg teams have had in the first couple of years at Nebraska. Some struggles converting at the free throw line, even though that metric, uh, I think they finished 7 for 10 or 14 for 18 at the yeah. line, so 77%. So that's yeah. a lot closer to where you would like that number to be. I think college teams, you want to be around the 80% mark. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit below that, but, you know, that in the first half was certainly a struggle. Um, forcing some threes, missing most of them, you know, that that was contributor to the lack of aggression. You know, you're not, just not trying to set up a great possession and you just kind of just throw something up at the end of the shot clock. Uh, Wilcher hit one of those, like, really wild contested threes. But other than that, he didn't have a whole lot going on. A couple of rebounds and a couple of assists. Um, but one guy that really surprised me that I liked and somebody who we didn't talk about a whole lot coming into this season, Keon Edwards. 12 minutes, relative, or rather 12 points in 22 or 18 minutes, sorry. Um, four for four, three for three from downtown, has a really, really smooth stroke. I liked what we saw out of him a lot. Yeah, one of my takeaways was just about the, the general play of Nebraska's newcomers, and, and Keon Edwards was a guy that, that dominated conversation. It was, he is someone that I was very surprised to see come into the game as early in the rotation as he did, but man, did he make an impact and looked really, really good. I mean, he was... Aside from Verge, I would almost argue that you can make a case that, that Keon Edwards was the, the second most impressive Nebraska player out there on the floor Wednesday night. I mean, any time that you finish a game perfect from the field and perfect from the three-point line, you're going to have attention drawn. And yeah, that shooting stroke is really nice. It's quick. It's it's really effortless. And he made a couple of contestant ones, too, not saying that they were bad shots necessarily, but they were just like, okay, like he's got that in his arsenal, too. He can step back and make it. And he can also finish inside. Edwards looks to be a really, really comp- complete player and an interesting piece. And I don't really think a, a Hoiberg coach team at Nebraska has had a guy like that with that ability to be strong and physical and finish inside, but also has that nice, st- smooth outside stroke. He is a very interesting piece. He's very athletic. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what his role is in the rotation and how that develops, because that's a guy that can definitely be starting some games in a pinch for sure, too. I was really impressed with his play. Two of the fan favorites, Casey Tomanaga and then Wilhelm Breidenbach, both had relatively solid nights. Casey had a couple of threes. Um, We were watching him together in warm-ups. He made like seven or eight in a row. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how that looks. You know, he didn't get... I, I felt like most of the looks that he did get were, I think he was one for three in the first half, and I had one in the second half. Yeah. Um, but he was pretty far off the free throw or the three-point line and was forced kind of off the three-point line by a team like Peru State. So th- that kind of made me a little bit nervous about the impact he'll be able to have against some better teams. But he did hit a couple from way downtown, so there's that too. And then on the other side, your guy, Wilhelm Breidenbach, Nine points for him, four defensive rebounds. I really like his potential there as, as the rebounder and the backup center to Derek Walker. And Brian Box said he's okay with be, being in that position. Yeah, Hoiberg coach teams have had a guy like Wilhelm. One of the most, you know, baseline offseason comparisons is when Hoiberg's teams worked at Iowa State, they had George's Niang. Niang was a fantastic college player a stretch four, basically, that can knock down outside shots that was physical enough to get in the lane and bully people on the low block and could also drive a little bit. And Wilhelm, while not similarly built, is a similar type of player. 
I was really impressed just with his size. Uh, I don't, you know, based on how he was when I was looking at him in high school a little bit, analyzing how he could fit, based on now, he's, he's bulked up a little bit, which will be nice. Uh, the Big Ten is very unforgiving when it comes to, to the, the size of their big guys that he will probably have to match up against. But it's a unicorn skill set. He's like a, almost like a Kristaps Porzingis, Georges Niang hybrid. I was really impressed with, with his foot speed and how athlet, the athleticism he displayed in blowing by dudes from the top of the key with a couple quick dribble moves and getting inside. Um, he's got really nice touch, too. He's got a nice touch at the rim and finesse, and he also had a really nice feed. So Wilhelm is a guy with a skill set that really it was intriguing to me, and I was curious to see how it would translate itself. We're going to find out a lot more about him specifically, I think, against Colorado. That'll be a real test against a real good Colorado team. And he'll have a seven-footer he'll have to go up against there, too, I believe. Right, and we'll find out a lot more about him then. But I was really impressed with him, and, you know, he that's yet another newcomer that is is dominating some, some headlines, but he looked really good, too. Yeah, one thing I didn't one thing I didn't like, if we're going to talk about some negatives, too, I didn't like the, the second-chance points, 14 of them for Colorado, 11 in the second half. That's something that'll that'll need to clean up. But I thought, you know, the turnover side of things, that was relatively clean, at least on the offensive side. Yeah, and Nebraska was able to force a lot of Peru State turnovers, specifically in the first half, which was weird that Nebraska didn't build that lead to more. Um, but in the second half, that those turnovers kind of translated itself into just overall smothering defense, and Peru State was not able to do a whole lot uh, until really late in the game when it was kind of just garbage time. Uh, not really garbage time, but the, the, the result was well decided, which is what it should have been earlier on. Uh, so, yeah, the, t- the turnover's good. Another thing is the rebounding. Hoiberg talked about that a lot post-game and said that that's going to be one thing, as with previous Nebraska teams, too, that they're really going to have to harp in on and make a collective effort to rebound the basketball. Um, Peru State, I don't know what the final numbers were, but there was good stretches of that game where they were Ten right, offensive rebounds. right neck and neck with Nebraska in terms of rebounding numbers. That's something that's that, that's got to get worked on. Actually, rather, that's ten offensive rebounds in the, first, or in the second half. Yeah, Peru State rebounded the ball 12 pretty total. well. So... That's something that Nebraska is really, really going to need to dial in and work on, especially as the season progresses in some of these early non-conference games and in this next upcoming exhibition game as well. So the rebounding is going to be a big storyline for Nebraska, of course, just like the free throws and stuff has been. Old habits die hard, so yeah, that's, that's going to be something we'll, we'll see a lot, I think. Huskers closed that 97-58 exhibition win over Peru State on a 19-3 run in the final five minutes and 41 seconds. What was the biggest key to success in your mind? in that last quarter of the second half. Yeah, it's all the old faces. This team is widely regarded, and rightly so, to be the deepest that Hoiberg has assembled at Nebraska. And he, again, referring to his postgame press conference, said that there are 10, 11, 12, even 13 guys that can be making a place for seeing significant minutes, which is such a nice change of pace from you know, the 2019-20 team that was rolling with six guys and two football players to the Big Ten tournament. It's such a nice difference to see how deep this team is, and the reason that that late-game run was able to happen is because of those familiar faces. You have a guy like Kobe Webster, who's like, what, like a fifth-year or sixth-year senior at this right. point? He's the only guy who's played in front of fans. That was back in 2018. Yeah, at Pinnacle Bank Arena for Western Illinois. You've got a guy like Trevor Lakes, who has a wealth of experience at the Division II level and got significant run for Nebraska last year, and a guy like Eduardo Andre, who was in a similar position those guys if you have those three guys as you're like 10th 11th and 12th dudes off the bench you've got a deep team because 
those guys have a lot of college basketball experience, including Eduardo Andre. It's a nice luxury to have, and who knows what the rotation will look like come the regular season, but Nebraska is deep, and having those experienced faces in there to lead that unit was really helpful. No reason why Nebraska was just able to really extend its lead at the end of the game. What's the biggest thing you're looking to see this team clean up ahead of Colorado on Sunday? It's tough, but I would have to say rebounding. Uh, It's one thing, you know, the first exhibition game is always kind of sloggy, kind of dreary, which is why some of the things like not rotating all the way on the perimeter and not maybe going as all out to grab some of the some of those rebounds, those things can excuse itself. But against a team like Colorado, they're big. Colorado's physical. They're more of a, a grinded out type team as opposed to someone that's going to get up and down and run. I'm looking to see what, how Nebraska can establish itself inside, both with its interior defense, again, if that remains strong, and grabbing rebounds. And then on the offensive side of the ball, it's how whether or not Nebraska can impose its will and, and dictate its tempo. I'd be interested to look at here Colorado last year was a team that was 276th in tempo Tad Boyle does not play very quickly um Colorado's a slow team one of the slowest in college basketball as far as how it runs their offense and for comparison Nebraska last season closed the 2021 campaign 35th so whether or not Nebraska will be able to establish its tempo, it's going to be a real styles make fights type of affair, uh, depending on how much of the, the run we see from the starters and how both coaches decide to rotate things. But I'm looking to see how Nebraska can install its tempo in the match as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Excited to get to work on that one with you there on Sunday. Um, should be fun. Should be a lot of fun. And it's rare to see a Division One exhibition oh yeah these uh, these are exciting these are the type of games always played behind closed doors and secret scrimmages so it's really really rare and really really cool that two d1 teams are going to be able to duke it out like this and go head to head what do you think the fan attendance going to be like it's 11 o'clock on a sunday morning does does the husker game affect it i don't know i mean man i hope people show up uh it's going to be a really 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 good game uh i'm looking forward like it's going to be the more and more I talk about it, the more and more I'm getting more excited for this than Nebraska. Well, I, I feel like it's either going to be a good game um, or they're going to end up getting blown out. Just because of the experience that Colorado is going to have. Now, they rely pretty hardly on a, on a freshman combo guard, so there is some element of that there. But, you know, I feel like this team maybe knows itself. Colorado knows itself a little bit better. Yeah, um, that's definitely something that you can say. I mean, they, they are good. Uh, they were in the tournament last year. They've got guys back from that team uh, that know know what they're doing. They've got, whew, yeah, going through their right, lineup again. They, they lose some faces, but guys like Evan Batty, I remember him. That's a big forward. Tristan De Silva, Oscar De Silva's brother, who was at Stanford. Uh, he's a good player. They're they have they have players that they've they're experienced at you know some of the big positions, uh, but it'll be a good test. I'm very interested to see how Nebraska lines up. Well, that'll do it for us. Here on Scarlet Fever. Uh, did not touch on volleyball this week, and we'll, we'll circle back to that next week. Uh, it's an off off week next week. I think, actually, uh, women's hoops might have a scrimmage next week. Yes. I'm trying to remember. They women's basketball is next week. Yes, their their first exhibition is against Midland. Everything's everything's, everything's colliding. Convergence. Yeah. Basically. It's, it's all starting. It's all happen. heating up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then, Great uh, time of year, I it guess. Is. Yeah. It is. It is. And uh, so 
Anyway, so we'll circle back to volleyball next week, get you a recap of that Wisconsin match that occurred last night as we record this on Thursday. Huskers are swept, um, but it was a fantastic volleyball match throughout. Just a couple of two-point set losses there for the Huskers. Uh, 26-24 in the first set and 25-23 in the third. Uh, so they will take on Minnesota on Saturday, 11th-ranked Gophers there. Uh, so we'll have a recap for you of that, as well as the Husker football game next week and uh, probably the Colorado scrimmage as well. So thank you so much for joining us here on Scarlet Fever. For Landon Wirt, I'm Grant Hansen. You can follow us on Twitter at Landon Wirt, L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T, and you can find me at Hansen15 underscore Hansen. So thanks so much for listening to Episode 10 of Scarlet Fever. We'll see you next week.